Okay. So. So, I think I'll begin over here. So, um, So we are here in this life. Agreed? Okay. So we're here. This, this thing called life that we're in, that encompasses everything that we experience. Our entire experiential gamut is our life, our reality. Okay. So the, the mind, your mind, is the center of your reality. That makes sense? Do you follow that much? That if you can imagine like a solar system, there's a sun, right? And there's these planets going around it. How we work is that sun would be awareness or consciousness. And the things that are kind of going around that consciousness that are appearing in front of it are thoughts, feelings, our sensations, a body, uh, then a life, relationships, um, profession, possessions, all these things that are kind of circling around it. But the center of that, the center of all of this, it's actually just this state of being or knowingness. There's kind of just an awareness in the middle of all of that. Normally, we see everything that's being circled around that awareness. So we're aware of the body, we're aware of the thoughts, we're aware of our feelings, the pains, the pleasures, our, our life. Every, we're, the awareness is going outwards and it sees everything. Outwards not just meaning outside of the body, but even outwards from the standpoint of the awareness. Outwards means like thoughts and feelings and all the stuff in the body and then even a step further going through extending through the sensory organs into seeing hearing smelling and then thoughts and perceptions and creations and stories right and then a step even farther it's into our life into our roles into our relationships all the things that are not really a part of us but are very much a part of who we are so because we're usually focused outwardly, constantly, first of all, we're, we're often just focused outwardly as far as like from our senses out. So we see the world around us and we react to it. And oftentimes, I mean, if you look at an animal, for instance, they don't have that self-reflexive quality maybe to the same degree as a homo sapien in terms of they often just act more impulsively there. A lot of people say, oh, cats are Zen masters, you know. Um, I do not think a cat is a Zen master. But animals do have a certain quality of presence, that they're just there, and if they're hungry, they're hungry. If they're angry, they're angry. If they're, just whatever they are, they are. There's not all these extra levels of thinking and judging and looking and questioning, and is that it or shouldn't it be? Or they just kind of are in this state, right? Um, this is what we would call the untrained mind that you know, if you took off that reflexive layer, we wouldn't really be able to sit here in any kind of a, a civilized and safe way. Uh, there would be people just punching each other because they felt like it, because there's no filters, no rules, no moralities, no ethics, no. It would just be expressing, doing whatever comes out, 
taking things because you want them. Um, you know, just very kind of bare reactivity, I guess I would say. So because we have another layer of awareness on top of that, we, we kind of filter that and we, we see the world around us and we start to have these reactions to them. And as we start to get older, um, from childhood on, through social um, connections and familial connections, you know, we start to be taught, oh, this is okay, this is not okay, this is right, this is wrong, this is how to get what you want, this is not the way, that we're given a social mind that we start to reflect on what's going on inside of us as well as what's going on outside of us. So I work in schools and you could kind of watch as the kids get older, they become more self-aware. They know how, how to be a person in a group, a person in a society, a person in relationship to other persons who are not just their parents giving them what they want. And that's sometimes as far as people get, is that they're at that place where they're just seeing relationships between me and other people, me and my things, me and what I want, what I don't want, how to get it, how not to get it. But the next step would be then to even turn farther inward, so not, not being lost externally through the senses, not to be lost internally in my thoughts, feelings, emotions, beliefs, and stuff, but to even take another step inward and to notice that awareness all by itself. To just be aware of the awareness. A homo sapien sapien. Right? To know that you know. To know the knowingness. To know that there's this awareness at the heart of everything that's going on. So that conceptually is okay. But if I say to you, just be aware of your awareness, that could be confusing for some people. So what meditation does is it's literally a training, it's a practice, it's like a skill set that you build up. You start to learn how to slowly move from the external world back into me, into my body, into my internal place. Close our eyes, we shut down, then we kind of have the thoughts, the feelings, all of this stuff. And then we start to slowly learn how to just be together with that awareness by itself, that state of knowing. That's ultimately the direction, moving into this subtle, very, very subtle mind, so to say. So gross to subtle, right? Gross, very much out here, big things, physical world, right? Very gross. Coming into things that are more subtle, like sensations, thoughts, feelings, more subtle. And then getting more subtle than that is just starts to get into this awareness, just this bare awareness, this beingness. So we practice meditation to start to learn how to come back to that place again and again and again. Coming back to that place creates a lot of peace, and us, because we can put all the other stuff down, we can put the outside world down, we can put the inside world down. We can put everything down and just rest. Yeah, if you're always holding something, it gets exhausting. Just to always be holding something, it's exhausting, it's tiring. Yeah, when you can start to put things down, you can rest, it becomes easy. You recover, you rejuvenate, and then when you pick that thing up again, it's not so bad because you're rested. So meditation has that aspect of learning how to put things down it creates a deep rest, but also you make an experience of what is not me. And I mean that because, you know, when I became a monk, I had to give everything that I had away. All these things that were mine, that I identified with, that I needed, that had all this kind of psychic and emotional connection and value and energy. 
by giving those things away, I realized, oh, okay, those things don't, I'm, that's not who I am. That's just this thing. And then I shaved my head, and then I put on this rope, and I was like, oh, now kind of like, and I was given a monk name, and I was like, oh, now my identity is being stripped. Yeah, my name is gone. And then I thought, well, actually, somehow it's still okay. And then slowly going through the training rules that I can't lie, and I can't steal, and I can't kill, and I can't have sex, and I can't drink, and then I can't handle money, and then I can only take what is given. And slowly going through these training rules that you have to let go more and more and more of your control over things. And every time you let go of control, you're simplifying and simplifying and simplifying and realizing the more that I let go of, the more I'll still be okay. And that's, that's the training. But, you know, there was monks, you know, I, I remember when I was in a monastery in Australia, we had the, the monk bowls, you know, these kind of whatever, iron or tin monk bowls, I forget what they're made out of. And some of the monks, their bowls had this really interesting kind of like color patterning on it. And I was like, How, like what is that? And they say, oh, like you take your bowl and you kind of put like hot coals on it and you put it under like a, like a barrel, like an oil drum, and you leave it in there for like all this time that it comes out and it looks really cool and old and, you know, and then I thought, oh, you know, even monks with just their bowl, you still want to make your bowl look cool, right? You still have that. Okay, but th at least this thing is mine. This thing I can make unique and cool, right? And so slowly that process of learning to let go, and it becomes amazing because some of you may have noticed that when you get into deeper meditation, you don't really notice the room anymore. You're just in yourself. Or maybe you notice you don't really feel your body anymore. You're just kind of in your mind. Or you'll notice at some point, maybe you feel peaceful and your thoughts have actually vanished a bit. And that process of letting things go, you start to find a new kind of freedom because you're not identifying with all of these things so deeply. And it gets even deeper. I don't talk about the deeper states because that's already kind of enough for people to hear. But when it gets even deeper, the whole mind kind of collapses in on itself. This is an experience that I've made a few times in, in deep meditation on retreat, that there is no more sense of self and other. And that's even that there's not even a sense of like me and my thoughts or me and my feelings. It all just becomes this oneness. The mind completely unifies on itself. And when you make that experience, it's kind of like, oh, everything that I thought was wrong. Everything I thought about who I am, what this is, what life is about, completely wrong completely, completely wrong. But it's all that I've ever experienced. Yeah, so it's like the story of the frog and the tadpole, and the you know, frog says to the tadpole, oh, it's going to be great when you get on dry land. And the tadpole says, what is dry land? And the frog says, it's what happens when you get out of water. And the tadpole says, well, what's water? And it's because we've only ever known what it's like to live with a sense of self, with ego, with self and other, duality that we don't even understand that we're in it. If I talk to you about ego, you nod your head, but you don't actually know because you've never been able to experience what it's like without it. And you can only know something fully once you're out of it. You can't know it when you're inside of it, unfortunately. So this practice of meditation, it starts to lead you to that place where you put fully everything down and all that's left is just that beingness. So that's what we're practicing here. Now, how does one get to that place? 
How do we get to that place of Venus? How do we get to that peace, that relaxation? What's that about? I know that I come and I get off work and I sit in this room with a bunch of people and my knees hurt, my back hurts, and I'm thinking about my taxes and what I need to buy at Whole Foods later and this fight that I had with this person earlier. You know, and this Seth guy is sitting up here talking about the mind collapsing in on itself and, you know, and we just feel like we're hopeless, lost cases that, you know, maybe meditation's for all these other people, but it doesn't work for me somehow. I'm the one that I'm, I must be broken or something. It doesn't work. And that's when I start bringing in these other teachings. And it's like, yeah, of course, if your life is not a little bit more cleaned up, a little bit more organized, if you're not living a life of integrity, if you're not in good relationships with people, if you're not standing up for yourself, setting healthy boundaries when you need to, if you're not able to organize things that you're not constantly worrying, that you put out your plan of, of attack, your strategy, if there are pressures and things on your life that are not resolved, all of that stuff is going to come up when you sit here and close your eyes. So if your life is a mess and you sit down to meditate, you are going to be face to face with mess. And it slowly becomes apparent to, you know, I would say like spiritual practitioners, but just someone who starts to work on themselves in a deeper way, that you have to start working with that mess. You have to start cleaning it up. You have to start organizing it. And this is what I was saying the other day about coming back home. Right, because this is like your mind is your home, so you have to come back home. And when you start to feel good about yourself, it becomes easier to sit and relax because you're already kind of there. Whereas if you're if you've done something, you know, if coming in here you you accidentally scratched into somebody else's car, and you just ran in here and you think, okay, I'm not going to tell them. The whole class you'll be sitting like, oh my god, are they going to find out? Yeah, are they going to walk out of this room and see that I scratched their car? You know, I better maybe I should leave a little bit early. So nobody knows, then I'll leave, then they won't know it was me. You know, you'll be such in, a, in an emotional state and going through the story and feeling all the stress that you have no chance because you're not really in your integrity. You don't feel good with what you're doing. And that's everyone's individual job. There's nobody else's judgment from the outside that can tell you what you need. When I was sick, I was on my way here and I pulled over to the side of the road and I was like, Seth, what are you doing? You need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, but I have to get to class, you know? And I eventually like really had to call Johan and say like, dude, cancel for me. I need to go. And I called my girlfriend. Yeah. And I said, you know, you're going to have to take me to the hospital as soon as I pull in. And there was something in me that felt such a sense of, of duty or something or like I didn't want to disappoint you that I knew all of you were coming here and how could I not come if you're coming and I kind of just looked at that and I said Seth this is absurd I think that's a good work ethic to have but when you're feeling like this this is ridiculous you know and I and I needed a, an extreme situation like that to kind of realize that you know and that allowed me to start adjusting and tweaking my inner sense of what's okay and what's not okay. And I spent the next four days in bed, and it felt amazing. I just lay there and watched movies and hung out. And I was like, this is great. This feels good. And, you know, culturally speaking, somebody who spends four days lying in bed is lazy, right? But if you're doing it because you really feel this is what I need, then it's actually called taking care of yourself. Yeah, so each of us has to individually find, right? So I'm not, personally, I'm not here to judge anybody. Like, I don't even care what anybody does or what their lives look like. But I really want to support you for yourself 
to feel, am I living my life? Do I feel good about how I'm living my life? Does my life feel like it's in my best interest, it's in my integrity, to the best that I can or not? And that's for each person to figure out. And the more that you feel good in your life, in your own skin, in your own mind, when you sit down to meditate, it becomes so easy and natural just to drop into that place again and again and again and again. Yeah, and that's why like a form like a monk exists, that there are these trainings, that there is this streamlined approach, that there is a structure to it. Yeah, that you go on retreats because you really work on that and work on that and work on that. And, you know, if we were all out killing and punching and stealing and lighting things on fire and we ran back to the monastery, you know, we wouldn't have good meditations. So the way you live your life directly affects your mind, so that directly affects the quality of your meditation. So that's kind of bridging those worlds together, if that helps. So this also now leads into the couple other questions. I would say that um, going back into method, so the way to meditate, that ultimately the movement from uh, the gross, scattered, busy mind to the subtle, collected, concentrated mind, that's the movement, right? From outwardly focused to inwardly collected, right? And the mind is concentrated, so a lot of the mind comes together. That's what the word concentration means, right? So how does one concentrate that mind? Well, things like walking meditation, right? Feeling your feet on the ground. Some people do that, and then they notice, but my mind is still going crazy. So when I was in Plum Village with Thich Nhat Hanh and the monks there, they'd practice things like they'd take a step and in their mind say, here, and they'd take another step and say, now. And all day long, wherever they went, they would just in their mind as they walk say, here, now, here, now, to make a habit, to start saying, well, look, if I'm going to think, um, I might as well make those thoughts helpful to what I'm trying to do here. Because normally our thoughts are just, it's like a fire hose with no one holding it. It's just shooting all over the place. Our thoughts are ridiculous. They have no real aim or purpose. They're just going everywhere. So if you say, okay, look, I accept that I'm going to think. So why not tell those thoughts what they should be thinking about? Here, now, breathing in, breathing out, in, out, in, out. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Chanting mantras. Om Mani Padme Hom, chanting this compassion mantra, feeling, using the mind to, to, bring, to bring the awareness in together. Eventually, however, that's going to fade away. Yeah, so we can use things like mantras, like counting, like in, out, all of this, to start to rein the mind in, but eventually that also will be let go of because the mind will start to feel good, it starts to feel peaceful, and that same place in your mind that's occupied by thoughts will instead become occupied by peace and space. It's this really cool thing that happens. It's like the place that usually thinks, it's now just this peacefulness, which is just clear and quiet and open and charged, very alive. So this is kind of the path. And, and this is the path that everyone has to take, but we all have our different hiccups in the road. We all have our different neuroses that accompany that. So for instance, like feeling like out of control, like we need to control things, that's a lesson for everybody to learn, right? I was sick in the car, feeling like I'm gonna pass out. No control. So I said to myself, Seth, try to just love this situation. 
try to totally accept, surrender, and love the situation that you're in. Don't fight it. It's like this. There's nothing you can do. Just really love it. Open up to it. Yeah, start to let go slowly of the things we don't have control over. Uh, Jack Kornfield said once, he's like, if you don't let go of things in life, you get what is called rope burn. Yeah? So same principle. If you're holding on too tightly and it gets yanked out of your hand, you're going to burn yourself. And that's life. Life is constantly being yanked out of our hands. The seasons are changing. Things are changing. People are coming into our lives. People are going out of our lives. Everything eventually ends, including the life itself. We lose everything eventually. Yeah, and at the same time, there's constantly new things coming in. So life is change. Life is this movement. That is all life is. This Tibetan monk I once saw, he said, insecurity, humans feeling insecure, it's like water being afraid of being wet. Yeah, if you really look deeply, we have no security. I think it was even in like one of the Silence of the Lambs movies when like he grabbed, you know, and he's like, you know, like, what have you lost right now? And the therapist is like, uh, I don't know. What have you lost? And the therapist wrote, like, my illusion. And he's like, right. You lost your illusion of security. That suddenly this person grabs you and it's like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was safe. I'm actually not. This illusion that we carry around, right? We carry around lots of illusions. But ultimately, life is life. Life is the teacher. Life will right away show you when you're holding an illusion. One of my favorite German words is Enttäuschung. Enttäuschung means disappointment, right? Disappointment, Enttäuschung. But if you break that word up, Ent, so if you were to discover something, the word to discover, it's Entdecken, which means like you, Entdecken means blanket. So it's like you Ent the Decken, you Ent the blanket, you take the blanket off. Right? So it's like, imagine if you're discovering something, you pull the blanket off and you discover it, right? So you entdecken, ent, take it off, take off that blanket. Enttäuschung still has that same ent in it, but toishong means illusion. So their word for disappointment means that you're pulling off the illusion. That you only get disappointed because you had an expectation. I thought I was going to go to this thing and it was going to be nice, but it rained. I had this expectation that I put down an illusion that I put on the situation and life said, nope, and it, whoosh, it pulled that illusion off like a blanket, whoosh, took it out of there. And you were hit with a different reality than the one that you wanted or expected. And I love that word because in English you're disappointed and it's like, oh, you know, poor me, or it's kind of like the situation, it's, you can blame the situation pretty easily. But that word in German, if you really look at it, it's kind of saying you are the only one to blame because you had an expectation that was not met. And that is your fault because we are the one holding that illusion versus dropping the illusions and allowing life to tell us what is reality. Yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to make reality like we want, trying to color the wallpaper of our lives. Yeah, if you want to know what your reality illusion is, go home. Go home and look. Look at the life you've created. Look at the partner you've had or the kids or the decorations you've had, the things you've done, your job. Just look around. Look at the wallpaper of your life and see what you've surrounded yourself with. 
Yeah, our lives are our mirrors. Look around at your life and you'll see exactly what your beliefs are. What you believe about yourself. Yeah, what you believe about the world. What you want or what you think you should be doing or should be having. Yeah, it's all right there to look at. Is there one more question involved that I missed? If not, cool. So it's really important in this practice, bringing kind of all this stuff together, bringing all this stuff together. So knowing that there's this kind of place of awareness that we're, that we're moving towards, and knowing that getting there involves letting things go, it involves making peace with things, making peace with our life, allowing, right? We don't want rope burn, we start to let go. We start to allow things to be like they are. We start to drop our illusions of wanting things to be different, right? One of the definitions of suffering is wanting something from life that it cannot give. Yeah, in any given moment, if you want life to be different than it is, that is called suffering. If you have pain, sure, there's pain, but not wanting that pain, that creates this whole extra compounded layer of it. Yeah, versus just being with the raw physical sensation, which is painful, but it's just that much. And how much of our suffering isn't even tangible? Probably, what, like 99%? The stuff we're worrying about, the stuff we're stressing about, all the stuff going on in our mind, our fears, yeah? Somebody told me the other day, they said, if you go into, like, Midwest, Texas, you know, not Texas, but you go into, like, the Midwest, and you talk to them about ISIS, everyone will be like, yeah, ISIS, we know about ISIS, yeah, they're these bad people, ISIS this, ISIS this, yeah, we got to fight ISIS. What people don't realize is, like, ISIS hasn't killed anybody in our country. You know, it's killed, like, the most people under 21, it's opioids. Yeah, what kills a huge percentage of people, it's diabetes. Yeah, McDonald's has killed more people than ISIS. Yeah, texting and driving. So there are these enemies right in front of our faces that we're contributing to as well. But we don't even think about it. We don't even see it. We don't even notice. But we kind of project this in other places. Right? We have these illusions of what's, what's real and what's not, and what's out there and what's not. I think it's really important to take that to the extreme when you practice meditation in terms of, I want you to sit here and not even try to meditate. Not even have an expectation, an illusion, that you're going to feel good, that this is going to work, that you're good or not good, or if I just do this or if I don't do that. Drop all of that too, because that's only when the practice really starts to, to catch fire, to really take on, is when you fully drop it all, when you really let it go. When you're not even trying to meditate, you're saying, I feel okay already. I feel fine. I don't even need this meditation. Whatever happens, I don't even care. If nothing changes, I'm totally at peace with that. And creating that mindset that's making peace. I am making peace with whatever is around. I am making peace with myself, with my situation. I am making peace with my life as it is right now. When you make peace with your life, guess what? You become peaceful. 
So it almost feels counterintuitive to start saying, yes, I love my restlessness or that pain in my back or leg or that fight that I have with that person or my doubts. It's super counterintuitive. But honestly, 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 that is the way forward is to completely radically make peace with whatever it is that you're feeling, that you're experiencing. Let it all be. Let it all go. It's fine. It's good. It's perfect. Whatever, however things are, that's fine. None of my business. I don't need anything. I'm content. Yeah? Contentment is the rock. If you threw a rock into water and it sinks to the bottom, yeah, contentment is the the energy that sinks you into the meditation. Contentment is what sinks you into that state of being. Building up an energy of contentment. Good enough. This is fine. I'm comfortable. It's okay. Good enough. That energy will sink your mind into peace like nothing else. Contentment, which is also like gratitude, is a form of contentment. Thankful for how things are. Thankful. Thankfulness. Yeah. Love. Kindness. Gentleness, not wanting to harm anything. These are all different forms of contentment. All this hands off, everything's okay, I love, I appreciate, things are good energy. All of those energies, they lead you deep, directly, straight lines, deep into that still, collected, concentrated mind. Yeah, so it's not necessarily about sitting here and huffing and puffing. Yeah, pushing away the thoughts. Yeah, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's exhausting. Yeah, really, the best thing you can do is sit here and say whatever it is that happens, however many thoughts I have, however messy my life and my mind are, good. I love it. Good. Keep it. Don't change anything. Yeah, a little reverse psychology for the consciousness. Yeah. We're always trying to change and nothing's ever working. Let's try the opposite. Yeah. Try saying, okay, everything's fine. I don't even want change. No mind. Don't get peaceful. I don't want you to get peaceful. I don't want to relax. Yeah? And the mind says, oh, okay, okay, and then it drops, right? Because we have to trick. We have to trick our, our consciousness, trick our perception, trick our psyche. Yeah? Because it doesn't know yet. It's like a child. We don't understand the real way to peace yet. So for the rest of class today, I would kind of say to take this, take this teaching and see how to kind of embody that, that sense of it's good enough. Things are good enough like they are. Whatever my practice is, it's good enough. I'm fine. I'm good enough. My life is good enough. There's nothing to change, nothing to fix, nothing to do. I'm happy with it. I'm thankful for everything. I'm so thankful just to be sitting here in this room right now, in this body. I'm, I'm like not completely sick. I'm not bleeding out of my you know, arm or something. There's not somebody outside going to beat me up or shoot me. I, I have food at home. You know, I'm thankful. It's good enough. I'm thankful for how things are. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for myself for bringing me to this class. Thankful for this great group to be sitting here with me. Yeah. And just sit and just be with that energy. And you'll be surprised, right? The more that you make peace, the more you will become peace. Okay, so for the rest of the class today, we're going to work on making peace with our experience, ourselves, our lives in this moment. Okay? So everybody get into a comfortable position. 
sitting in a way that we feel stable, that we feel good, that we feel relaxed. Chairs are okay, floor is okay. sitting in a way that we're not going to have to move much for the next 20 minutes. Although if you do have to move, just do it slowly. Just move mindfully as well. But otherwise, really just working on accepting, being loving, giving thanks, dropping our expectations. And really just rest and let go.